It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Hoping we find each and every one of you in great form today. John Paul on his own today uh, taking calls. So please uh, bear with him. Uh, we'd love to hear from you though throughout the morning. 1850 You can text your WhatsApp to 086 uh, to 103-103. Actually already getting uh, some calls and a listener's been on and we're looking into this to say, uh, this is from the Shannon, Shannon Vale uh, area, that there's speed bump the speed bumps in the village were removed during the week and somebody made the point that with more people out walking more than ever they need motorists to slow down so we're looking into into why the speed bumps were removed and how long will they be gone for now maybe there was something wrong with them maybe they were damaged and needed to be fixed but I would have to agree we have very busy roads at the moment and we've been encouraging people all week to please slow down and please be aware of pedestrians please be aware of cyclists likewise we're saying to pedestrians and cyclists to be aware we all need to share the road so um, thank you to people who've pointed that out in what's happening in Shannonville we will see what's going on with that uh, story I do have an update on something that we looked into yesterday and this was to do with people living in the out in the Bear Peninsula, they were without the three network yesterday. There was a problem. We got on to three. They acknowledged they had a problem. They were looking into it. They've been back on to us to say that the repair part that they were waiting for has arrived at the site. It arrived last night. Riggers are expected to start work first thing this morning. So I'm assuming the riggers are there at work as we speak. And they tell us all going well. Service should be resumed within the next few hours. So that's a bit of good news for people in the Beira area your three should be back within the next few hours then we call from the Clonakilty area to say Air Mobile no reception there we're checking with Air on that one uh, for you as well and hopefully like with three we might get some good news sooner rather than uh, later now later on in the programme I am going to be talking about the TikTok this is a new phenomenon with the TikTok uh, videos and youngsters young men it seems to be any of the ones I saw. It did look like they were young men. Maybe there's young females involved as well. Just doing really stupid things on farm equipment and putting their lives in danger. Absolutely shocking, shocking uh, footage. Well, Anna in Castle Island said she feels at this stage that social media sites like TikTok and Facebook need to take responsibility. One sees these videos on these sites and then somebody decides to copy them. People are going to get killed and... uh, 
uh, we need to be promoting farm safety, not watching videos of people acting the idiot and ultimately, you know, doing things that could lead to the, themselves or somebody else being uh, killed. I think in fairness to TikTok, they are investigating it at the moment. I think they're quite shocked by some of the videos that are going up on, on their platform. And Connie in Mitchellstown says, this whole TikTok phenomenon, is it not time now to question how teenagers are allowed to drive, tra- drive tractors? You can drive tra- a tractor from the age of uh, 16. Do, this whole TikTok phenomenon, does it, do we not need to look and start seeing, do we need to increase that, bring it to 17 or maybe even go as far as 18? Do not allow any young person drive a tractor before the age of 18. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. And the good news story on COVID-19, the country, it looks like we're on course to take the next step to ease the lockdown. All of the latest trends are showing that coronavirus is being crushed in this country. The level of the the disease in the community is now very low. All indications are that the overall control of the virus is now astonishingly stable. And I'll certainly take that as a good news story on a Friday. Astonishingly stable. That optimistic verdict came from Professor Philip Nolan. He's with Maynooth University and and he is the guy who is leading up a team who are tracking the spread of the virus in this country. He said intensive care, hospital admissions, as well as the number of deaths per day all continue to decline and the number of cases per day that is remaining stable. There are around one to two admissions to intensive care a day and about 50 new this is on average 50 new cases of the virus. The R number, which is so important, that's the number that indicates how many people the average COVID-19 patient passes the virus onto before they recover. That now is as low as 0.5. And actually I heard yesterday could even may even be lower than 0.5. They're giving a cautious 0.5 at the moment. Now it will be next week before figures will truly reflect the impact of phase one of exiting the lockdown measures before we're absolutely clear about that. But even at this stage, there are no hints or disturbance in the data, is how they're saying, that would lead them to worry in any way. So that is certainly a good sign. And the next phase of the roadmap to exit lockdown, I'm assuming it'll be this day next week, I'll be talking about, I'll have some kind of a timeline in which I take it it'll be the Taoiseach again, Leo Varadkar, maybe the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, will be announcing that we're moving to phase two of the lockdown because that will be due to start on the 8th of June. So the following Monday, Monday week, that's due to start. And that's when all going well, people will be allowed to travel 20 kilometres away from their home. Uh, more shops will start to open up and this certainly the one that the cocooners are waiting for people over the age of 70 will be allowed out and will be allowed to visit supermarkets and certainly that's going to be welcomed news because it'll be this day next week before that is announced and also it's it's expected that the guidelines uh, for next week could also lead to activities like summer camps for children uh, going ahead. Now as long as obviously precautions are uh, followed Tony Houlihan says that they are not seeing increases in infection for the most part in countries where schools have reopened. So they're very much encouraged by that. Now he does still say it's it's early days but he also he seems to be just a very cautious man whenever he's giving out any sort of information but it is possible that next Friday when let's say it's Leo 
Radker uh, tells us that we're ready to move into phase two and we already have the roadmap to phase two. It is possible that they'll add other things into phase two, maybe things that were planned for phase three. We'll be able to do that in phase two instead and we'll have another week to wait and another week for everyone to slightly batten down the hatches and for everyone to abide by the rules so that we don't suddenly start seeing a spread of the uh, virus. And for parents who are have now accepted that children are not going back to school until September. There was further confusion yesterday with the Minister for Education when he gave an interview saying students would not be returning to school in September. Well, he said they won't be returning as normal. He said it's very hard to see at this stage all students back in September. He said even with a one metre rule, while blending learning, now that's a mix of learning in the classroom and learning online at home, that looks set to become a mainstay when the school buildings reopen next September. The Department of Education doesn't yet know what classrooms are going to look like. So he said we're waiting to see what sort of blended education system we're going to have. So he's he's almost conceding that that's the way we're going to go. So that that would look like children might be in school for half the week and then they would do half the week at home. Maybe they do mornings in school and afternoons at home. Maybe they some classes would go in on Monday and Tuesday. Others would go in on Wednesday and Thursdays. Others might go in on a Wednesday and, and a Friday and they would do half the work in school and half the work while at home. Now a roadmap for schools for how to plan their return. That's not going to be completed for another two weeks. I'm, I'm really getting a bit frustrated as to why that plan isn't already in place so that you can at least let the schools get in there and decide what needs to be done. The department is looking now at how other countries have reopened their schools. Uh, We know already, for example, that Denmark has reopened, Greece has reopened, Germany has reopened, the United Kingdom already, they're going back, well, the smallies are going back next uh, Monday. So what the Department of Education here, they're looking to see how other countries are getting on, what's worked in other countries, what they've learned from in other countries. Now, the two metre social distancing rule that's in place at the moment, and that's cited as an issue for many schools, that that is still up for discussion. And we know it's been debated by ministers after the reduction uh, of the limit was raised by a number of cabinet ministers at this week's meeting. And of course, opposition TDs have been calling for that to be be re-examined. Could we move the two metre rule? Could we move it back to one metre instead? A lot of industry, a lot of businesses are looking for it to be one metre. And we know the World Health Organisation guidelines state that one metre social distancing is safe. However, our chief medical officer, Tony Houlihan, has signalled no plans at all to revise a reduction here. He wants it left at the two metres, but there is a big push to bring it down to one metre and it certainly would make somewhat of a difference for the children returning to uh, schools. And This is another uh, interesting piece and one that I'm assuming the experts will look at uh, as well, particularly when they're thinking about schools reopening in September. Schools in Ireland are not a high risk setting for the transmission of coronavirus and reopening classrooms should be considered as an early measure. And this is according to HSE Public Health experts. And before people say, well, how can you say that the classroom is not a high-risk high setting? Well, you can because they, they've done a study 
on school-related cases. And what they did was experts examined whether there was any evidence of transmission on the virus prior to the closure of schools on the 12th of March. When they decided to close the schools on the 12th of March, at that time, there had been three confirmed cases of coronavirus involving three students. And then there was a further three among adults in school settings. So they looked at the research based on those cases. And there was no confirmed cases out of the more than a thousand contacts of the six cases. They were exposed to the virus. The, the children who would have had it sat in classrooms with, you know, other their other classmates. They went to sports lessons. Some of them went to music lessons. There was even some of the students went to choir practice in a church and they did contact tracing on those six individuals and the contact tracing for the children and the adults came in at 1,025 and not one person picked up the virus from the, the children or from the adults in the school setting. So that surely bodes well for schools reopening and that's coming from the HSE. I mentioned uh, that uh, the sad news that is breaking this morning out of Las Vegas actually the news that uh, Brendan Boyer the who fronted the Royal Show Band and the Big Eight has died in uh, Los Angeles he was surrounded by his uh, family but what's really sad is uh, Brendan Boyer he was 81 he had hoped to get back to Ireland one more time before his before he died but unfortunately that hasn't uh, happened and he was with his wife of 52 years when he passed away uh, along with his uh, his three children uh, as well. May he rest in peace the late great uh, Brendan Boyer and some reaction to that Michael says Patricia so sad to hear the passing of that great Waterford entertainer Brendan Boyer. He was one of Ireland's best beautiful singer always gave 100% on stage. His sister was with the Bunratty singers I didn't know that also a beautiful singer so it must have come naturally to the family may he rest in peace that's from uh, Michael in Castle thank you for that Michael and Nora says, Patricia, not a great morning for me, I'm afraid, after hearing that sad, sad news about my favourite Irish singer, the great Brendan Boyer. I'm heartbroken today. Oh, bless. Oh, bless. We will remember uh, Brendan Boyer later on on the programme. We've asked John Green to join us because only two weeks ago, literally only two weeks ago, John Green had an interview with him. So we'll chat with um, John Green remembering Brendan Boyer later on on the programme today. Okay, just a couple of your texts and calls. Um, Is there a name on this? There isn't. Uh, Hi, morning, Patricia. Hope you're enjoying the sunshine. I am indeed. Have to have a bit of a rant this morning. I'm sorry. There was a funeral in North Cork yesterday and there must have been 70 to 80 people plus in attendance. They were all stuck close together. Somebody gave a great side oration. There was so little room to spare. The people were actually standing and climbing over other graves. No offence to the person who passed away and to the immediate family. But thousands of other families have adhered to the guidelines and had private fun- funerals. We, To be honest, we were a bit shocked to witness it, especially as we've all made sacrifices. And can I have another rant while I'm on to you, says this uh, texter. Um, a business in our area has been closed during the pandemic, but they've been running com- competitions with fantastic prizes. The winners have come from far away as Sligo and Kilkenny to collect their prizes. How have they managed to travel that far without meeting a checkpoint? Surely that would be deemed non-essential travel. They could surely wait until after the restrictions are eased and it's safe to travel. As far as I'm aware, we've we've no confirmed cases in our area. We'd like to keep it that way. Also, do you need to have a permit to run a raffle or a competition? Because I see all of the GAA lottos have uh, stopped. I'm assuming when you're saying that they're running 
a competition. It's online, like a fi- on Facebook. There's a lot of businesses doing that. And I'm very, very slow to knock any business that's had to close down because of COVID-19. And, you know, bless their hearts, any of them that had an online presence, some of them transferred some of their businesses online just to keep going. And a lot of people have used their social media like that to run uh, competitions. I don't know what the competition was. So if it's just a Facebook one, there's... You know, you know, you're not paying to enter, so therefore it wouldn't wouldn't fall in under the rules of needing to have a permit for a raffle like that because it's you know it's a free to enter uh, competition. Uh, but as for people travelling to collect the prizes, does seem a bit bizarre. I don't know why they didn't wait until afterwards, or could the prizes have been posted out? Maybe if they were too big, they couldn't be uh, posted out. But if they had been stopped. It's the prize winners were taking a risk and getting into the car and driving from other parts of the country and driving to Cork if they got caught on the way and it was quite possible that they would have been stopped on the way. I'd be interested to see how they would explain that one to members of Angarda Siakona because Vincent in Newmarket was on. Thank you, by the way, for your text. Vincent in Newmarket was on to say, I was travelling from Newmarket to Cork City this week. The reason for my journey was an elderly neighbour had a hospital appointment. Now, we took all the, the... precautions going to and from. Anyway, on the way back to Newmarket, we were stopped by a member from Garda Shikona near Bantir. There was a checkpoint. The Gardaí asked me where I was coming from, where I was going to. I explained what had happened and what I was doing. Uh, but the man, but because the man wasn't related to me, he says, he said, you're breaching the regulations. I explained the situation again that this man had to go to a hospital appointment. Now he did wave me on and told me to go home, but somebody else had this but has but I'm wondering, has anybody else had a similar situation? I couldn't leave this man at home. And if I did, he would have missed his hospital appointment. By the way, he doesn't have any family. He doesn't have anybody around uh, to drive him. Do we leave these people miss out on their hospital appointments? Absolutely not, uh, Vincent. I personally would, would say that that guardie was wrong. You were helping out. And that's very much in the rules and regulations. If, you, if you're helping out somebody else, that is deemed a necessary journey and it doesn't state in the rules and I'll get this doubly checked but it doesn't state to me in the restrictions that you can only be helping out and offering assistance to a family member. What I would suggest Vincent you do the next time that you need to do a neighbourly act like that is maybe ring your local guard at the station explain what has happened to you explain what you were told by the other member from Garda Shikona and explain that you're bringing this person to the hospital and can I say well done to you for doing that and for because that elderly man would have missed out on the hospital appointment and we know they've started calling people back into the hospitals and we're saying to everybody hospitals are very safe places to go to now God knows how long your neighbour was waiting on that that appointment so well done that the man wanted to go as well and that you took him. I personally think that that guy that was wrong to have even had a go at you. He should have instead patted you on the back and said, you know, well done, on you go, away home with you and drop the drop the gentleman home. Uh, has it happened to anybody else? Can anybody share a similar story like that where you were stopped? And because the person in the car who Vincent was taking to the hospital wasn't a member of his family, He's, he was told he was in breach of the guidelines. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 086. To 103 103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Fonsa Walcha, Lassie 103.
COVID needig and shut in air in Agus Kamwitz Fanox Oalia con Mwitz Fain Agus Akela Akusens. And Nishna planned a Kui Kamina Aon Lahai on Tira Oskazurish. Because he unsucked the Dadig Baltana by Derla Cooper Strinta of the Aon Hanafain. Machan to the Mach and Bino Kukas at all, Fan Ga Vader Eralide Oguina Ella. Bigi Olaf Lista Shopadorta Agus Nabi Brazal. Tor Aragonadini Ella Tasha Shopa Agus Gunna Fern Eta Igo Brown. Matatu Dolomon Akliach the Tavemwe and Nishta Kadago Fana Voskuk Kui Kilometer Dembalia. In I got kilometer. Matashivik Fanox Mali on Tamar Fad no cocooning, they cadakotulamak last year in Kui kilometer, Akhtor Aragon and Rielka for social distancing. Thais of Ingamin Shade Zakar of Vesamalia on Tamar Fad in the party, Akhtair Ash Quigna Bunrodi, Alina, Kardiot, Mirna Mari, Akastahukan, Fon Savalte, Fon Somalia. Lahai Tilla Olish, Fon Lin, Air C 103. C103 encourages you to shop local during COVID-19. Most of our stores remain closed, so we can't go to the shop, but we can still support them by shopping online. Use Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to search for hashtag shop local. And buy from Cork businesses. Buy from Cork businesses. It's a sign of the time. Get everything you need from toys to toilet roll and groceries to gardening. Support your neighbours, friends and communities and shop local. It's a sign of the time. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, a Cork family business looking after you in this time of need. CMIG.ie Shop local with C103. And just on Vincent, who was, when he was stopped by the Gardaí, on the way back from the hospital appointment he'd taken the neighbour who doesn't have any family doesn't have anybody living locally to take him to the hospital appointment and the the member from Garthashikana told him he was breaching the guidelines because the gentleman wasn't a family member. It does say in the list of the reasons that you can travel from your home, it does say for vital family reasons such as providing care to children, elderly or vulnerable people uh, but excluding family social visits. I would assume the vulnerable people, the gentleman that Vincent was taken to the hospital would fall into, well, he's elderly, so he'd fall into the elderly category as well. I don't think that the person has to be related to you. I mean, in many cases, there will be a family member to be able to take somebody to hospital appointment. But when Vincent's neighbour finds himself in the position that he's nobody else to uh, bring him, to me, Vincent is doing the Good Samaritan uh, role. We'll get it checked with the Gardaí as well. But for me, it falls very much into the criteria of one of the reasons why you can leave your house. And to me, it is an essential journey. We'll get it checked, though, just to be sure. 1850-333-103. Now, one West Cork Doll deputy is questioning why the government is spending so much money sending COVID-19 samples to Germany for testing when some of this work could be conducted locally. Uh, Independent Doll deputy Michael Collins uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Um, you're welcome to the programme. Is it glorious in uh, West Cork today? Have you? It is stunning. Is Beautiful here, yeah. uh, down here in the, the Midland Peninsula this morning. Um, but, you know, it's, it's lovely. The last few days have been uh, quite nice and it's, you know, going to be a, a lovely weekend uh, for people that will try and stay at home and enjoy it. Yeah, and we're saying to people, enjoy it if it is in within five kilometres of your home. Please don't yeah, be descending please. on beaches in, in West Cork from any, any other areas. It's, for, it's not for very much longer, but for now, you have to stay within the five kilometres. Now, you spent time in a local laboratory in Bandon. Talk me through what you discovered. Yes, indeed. Um, I suppose, first of all, I'm on the COVID-19 Health Committee. And, I, you know, we've teased into, you know, a lot of issues. And you've seen there with nursing homes during the week. There's been, um, you know, the I suppose, looking at 
Weaver before us last week. Uh, the results of tests like they were there's a lot of concerns out there in the public that they're you know taking maybe in some cases up to three weeks I know they've improved uh, dramatically but uh, what emerged in, uh, from that was uh, you know I was I was approached by um, uh, we'll say board members of uh, the company that, that's running the whole Chinook uh, they're independent where they have an animal health laboratory um, that's the name of the company they're doing actually at this present time they're doing hundreds of tests during the week uh, for private hospitals, the HC have time to do, but for a very, very small cost, uh, an extra uh, maybe investment, um, you could be talking, they could do anything up to seven, eight, ten thousand a week tests. And the, and the, and the strange thing is that I, I did visit the, uh, the laboratary on, on Sunday because it was, a, it was a, at, at work and it does other, obviously it's doing animal health, but it's doing the COVID-19 tests as well. Uh, for the private hospital, but they're getting you know, the same day results. So basically, wow. when they're the, the, the swabs are going in there in the morning, they're getting the results that evening, which is phenomenal. And it's something I, I think that our government hasn't focused on. There's probably other labs too, in fairness. I'm not trying to single out the one that's just the one that's presented itself to me and you. Um, and, and the government are more focused on, you know, and, and, and that's where it's easy, you know, the costs of sending them out to Germany. Now, the, the reply I got from, from uh, Paul Reed, the HSE, is that it, it hasn't cost us a lot of money. The test when they're going to Germany may not have cost the state a lot of money when the, uh, each individual test that they're being tested out there, but the cost of taken there because they, they've acquired, um, the Air Corps, uh, Corps, Corps has acquired a PC-12 plane and, uh, and that's reported have cost them over five minutes to take these um, uh, swabs out to Germany and get them tested and try and get them back within so many days. That hasn't been always successful. It has led to maybe people waiting a week or two. Yeah, I mean, the very obvious one is there's, there's a delay. I mean, if you've got to, if you take a swab from somebody in West Cork, uh, then it has to get to wherever the plane is that's going to take it to Germany. Then it has to be flown to Germany. It has to get off the plane in Germany. It has to get to the lab. There's, there's delay. I mean, if you can do it locally and you say, turn around, same day results. Same day results. It's not, um, this isn't uh, rocket science. This is this is a no brainer. And the, yes, indeed, and the private hospitals have been uh, using this, this this laboratory in particular. They've been able to keep their doors wide open um, uh, with their patients continuously coming into because they're testing everybody that comes in in, in the morning. Getting finding out they're COVID free, please God, by the afternoon, and they're able to give them their appointment the following morning. Whereas, unfortunately, in in in, in other situations, people are waiting. They're waiting maybe two to three weeks, and I've had people come to me. They've waited over three weeks for cancer treatment, and that test is, to be honest with you, is is of little consequence, even though it comes back negative and it's great. But the person could have picked it up in in the in the intervening period of three weeks. So it's, it's, a, it's a very, very positive. Yeah, I, I, well, well, I think the delays on test results is gone now, isn't it? People are getting results. It's, it's certainly not same day or certainly not 24 hours. I think it's within three days now, is it? it I'm it sure. Is, yeah, but the, the problem is, we'll say, and I, I, I questioned that in, with nursing home Ireland, the, how, how many days is it taking for a patient to get a test and how many to just to get the test uh, carried out and how many for, 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 for we'll say, staff? And it's taking, I think, 10 days for staff and 14 days for a patient to get. Uh, to, and I, I've asked Nursing Home Ireland to look into using that, like Animal Health Lab or others out there that can give same day results. And those and think, la- labs like the one you're talking about in, in Chinook and Bandon, I'm assuming we've got similar labs all over the country. Well, the, the HEC have come back to me and said they're, 40, they're using 41 labs. Yeah. And I, 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 maybe I'm being a bit, what's the word, a bit negative here, but. 
I, I just can't understand why aren't they focusing in on the fact that maybe the most of them must be Ireland because the only one we keep to hear about is the German, the German, the German led. But I, I'm I'm pretty sure that we can get up to anything up to ten thousand uh, results, uh, same day results in the labs in Ireland. It mightn't sound very dramatic that you're not taking out to Germany, but it's certainly what matters to the patient, what matters to the sick person, are the person that is sick. What what I'm actually proposing is that they use this in our airports and consider using this in our airports. And, and also what I'm, I, I pleaded, and I think they're moving towards that, is that local doctors and nurses in hospitals and, and nursing homes can actually take the swab and present that to the local lab and get the result on the same day. That'd be we, great. You know, we yeah. shouldn't be looking at, uh, you know, taking to a special centre and all this taking a, do a day here and a day. This could be speeded up quite considerably. Now, what's wrong if there, if there wouldn't be a, a swab centre in, in an airport when people coming in? I mean, the well, I, I saw I saw a piece from a, a journalist going into going returning home to Singapore, and she arrived in Singapore. They were met on the plane on the tarmac, all put on buses. They were brought out to this big holding area, and they were put into it looked like little pods. Everybody had their own own section. A, a COVID nineteen test was done. They were given a bottle of water and a sandwich, and told to sit there and wait. And they were not allowed to leave until they had a COVID-19 negative test result, uh, which came back, I think, in about six hours, and then they were allowed to leave the airport. They're guaranteeing that they will not bring in, they will not import any COVID-19 cases into Singapore. Absolutely. And Patricia, the ease of mind, that is, if you have somebody that wants a holiday in in, in West Cork and and is tested at the airport, and even if they're allowed because they have to fill out the certificate now stating where they're going, and they will be called on to see that they did isolate for 14 days, they may not have to need to isolate it for 14 days because they have been tested at the airport and they'll have a next day. Even if they can't have the same day, they definitely have a next day um, a certificate stating they do not have COVID-19. And it puts an ease of mind to the community to come into that they know all these procedures are in place and the worries that are there in the community will obviously be eased considerably. I think it's, just, it's, a, it's a, like I think you said, well, go no brainer. I need something that I focus very strongly going forward. I, I think... Uh, laboratories like Animal Health Laboratory in, in Shinnega that have been excellently ran can put out they're putting out so many hundreds they can put out thousands with a tiny investment put out thousands of tests daily results in the evening that's where we need to move with this uh, because we need to start to reopen the economy but we need to give the confidence to the people wherever they are whether east, north, west or anywhere in, in, in our own county that they have the confidence and, and, and security of mind saying young people were tested this morning they, they can't be in our country otherwise and, and they're quite free to, to travel the same as the rest of us And when we reopen our country and we will and we will get it back on track we're going to con- need to continue testing I mean it's fantastic that all of the nursing homes have now been tested but there's still no talk of when do we start retesting again to make sure that it hasn't come come in in the meantime and that's where we need the local doctor and the doctor attended to the nursing home or the community hospital or the local nurse that they would be allowed to carry out that they're, they're taking blood from us all of our lives in our, in our local community hospital or local clinics surely they can take blood they can take a swab seal it send it to the local lab and have a result that evening and that person can be medicated and isolated and looked after and probably their lives being saved yeah. And this is where we're we're going wrong. We're focusing okay. on what we can do in Germany. I've been told, yes, that that's at a small cost. I'm not sure what it's costing, but I certainly know it's cost us the purchase of a plane. It's cost us the time, the the, the, the crew, and all that has to be carried out. And, and it's, it's definitely taking two to three days, no matter what. 
I, I, even though that's that's pretty good, but we can even do better. And yeah. We can do okay. better in our own country. Okay, listen, thank you for that, Michael. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll talk again. Um, stay safe and enjoy the bank holiday weekend in beautiful West Cork. That is West Cork Doll Deputy Michael Collins. Cork today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. The government recently launched phase one of Ireland's roadmap to reopening the country. The following information relates to updated guidelines for transport and travel. Travel restrictions are implemented as follows. There is a nationwide restriction on travel outside of five kilometres from your home, except for reasons outlined at gov.ie. Travel to Ireland's offshore islands is limited to residents of those islands. Local authorities have relaxed on-street parking laws to meet the travel needs of workers. The measures are reflected in the regulations under the Health Act 2000 and will be enforced by the Garda Síochána. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. According to the Health and Safety Authority, a large proportion of all fatal workplace accidents occur in agriculture, even though a small proportion of the workforce is employed in farming. The level of farm accidents is not decreasing. So it is very worrying to hear that potentially deadly farm machinery pranks are being filmed and posted on social media platform TikTok to discuss this distressing trend. I'm joined by Tim Cullinan, uh, who is the president of the IFA. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Um, you're welcome to the programme. Have you seen any of the TikTok videos and what have you witnessed on these videos? Sure, look, I have. I was made aware of this last weekend and to be honest, when I've seen them, I was actually shocked and horrified with what I've seen. I thought, and one of them I've seen, there was a guy out with a silage harvester and climbing up the shoes of the harvester and jumping off when the harvester was filling the trailer. Jumping off the, the shoes into the trailer was one. Another one which was absolute crazy was there was a guy standing on the drawbar of a trailer and this tractor and trailer driving on a public road and he was making a film of, or a video of the guy driving the tractor and the guy driving the tractor was turning around looking at him and he's driving down a public road. So obviously the consequences of that could have been horrendous. You know, if the guy fell off the trailer yeah. or if there was somebody walking on the road or a car coming or whatever. There, there are just two, and, and I suppose just the third one there was a quad going up a steep embankment and it just sliding back down. I saw, I saw yeah. that the quad one and yeah. that just sent shivers down my spine yeah, exactly. because over the years, uh, Tim, I've interviewed families who's, who've lost loved ones exactly. because of a genuine accident associated with a quad. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I said during the week. Like if one of those individuals who were making those videos was to go into a family that was after losing a family member to a farm accident. Do you know what I mean? Then they'd see it. Look, and like yourself, I will be in touch with people on a constant basis. Do you know that they, they look, we've had a lot of farm accidents. And, you know, like families, are they never get over this yeah. in fairness, you know, and nobody goes out to cause a farm accident. But to have people going out then and putting themselves in direct danger. But the more worrying thing about this is, you know, what they're doing here is they're daring the next group yeah. to do something more dangerous. And yeah, that's where and the copycat nature yeah. of it. Are yeah. the people clearly identifiable? I should look, they are. But what I have called for earlier in the week is 
for either farmers or contractors that obviously these guys, these people are employed with either contractor or farmers and if they continue to do this I think look I have no problem in saying they need to be sacked immediately because we cannot there's no way IFA or any I think anybody involved in farming or contracting will condone an activity like this it's absolute madness and you know as we said already we have eight fatalities already this year you know, yeah. with, with COVID you know a lot of all the children are at home from school for an extended period in time and you know it's easy to get a bit complacent, but we have to keep the guard up on farm safety. You know, we're here now again and beautiful weather and obviously children want to be out around farmyard. But I would take this opportunity to appeal to the parents, you know, why particularly while silage making is, is, is going on on the farm, that you know, children young children have to be supervised and, and kept away from, from large machinery and you know, no young kids should be up on any any children under the age of seven years of age, should not be up on a track. Yeah, you're right. You're so right. Somebody says, are, are they the sons and daughters, the farmers, the ones involved in the videos? I suppose some of them are. So look, I, I, I don't know who they are, but all I'm saying is I want to see this activity stopped and stopped immediately. And, you know, we, it's absolutely disgraceful what's going on. And to be practising something that's, you know, it's going to lead to deaths if it continues. There's no point saying anything else. And you no, know, as I said already, we've all seen the devastation of of farm accidents. And uh, so we've enough to be doing and getting on with without dealing with with issues like this. You know, someone is blaming TikTok and the social media websites for sharing these uh, videos. I'm, I'm sure I read somewhere that TikTok is carrying out an investigation. That's right. My understanding is the error, but. Again, I think TikTok, if they can't, I assume they can take these down off of the websites. I think they should be taken down. And uh, you know, I think that's the best approach if if they weren't going up in the first place. But suppose, look, it's hard for um, for a media outlet to control everything. And you know, we all embrace uh, social media. You know, we're using it ourselves in IFA now more than ever since the lockdown. You know, we were, we were forced into doing things that normally wouldn't be doing, you know, with... with um, and media or meetings on on social media, let it be on Teams or whatever, or on Skype. No, this is the nature of the way we're operating at the moment. But we need to use these things no, in a proper manner yeah. and use them to our advantage. And I suppose we we others have a role in not sharing them. You know, because if we can if we can stop them, if because these young lads and uh, put them up trying to gain a bit of notoriety, if, if you can nip it in the bud, so don't you know don't share it would help as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. If people wouldn't share them, and I suppose look the nature of people, if they see something, they're like pass on to their friends. Yeah. But in this particular instance, you're right. If people wouldn't share them, you know, at least they wouldn't be getting around. And I suppose people would be would be to think before you share something like this. You know, maybe the, if you, the person you share it could end up in a farm accident. Yeah. You know, to think about it like that. Yeah. You know, the, the the danger of it. And uh, Tim, how how are farmers getting on during the current COVID nineteen crisis? Yeah, look, I suppose it's it, it's a different world out there, and I suppose for farmers themselves, on the day to day work on the farm, luckily the weather has been good. But I suppose look, the, our beef sector has been affected very badly since the onset of COVID, so the market collapsed, mm. and there is a bit of a reprieve in it at the moment. But look, we need, I suppose, look, one thing what we are campaigning for and 
which we need to get is is a direct payment for beef farmers, any beef finishers that sold cattle since the start of COVID or, or suffered serious losses. Um, but on the dairy side, look, the weather is good. Uh, we're past peak milk. Every litre of milk has been processed, so, which is good. And uh, There was a concern at the start of COVID that that may not be able to happen. It did happen. And albeit there was a drop in price, but uh, at least it is being processed and there is an ACE private storage scheme there. And luckily it's not been fully utilised on the dairy side, and, you know, which says the market is uh, reviving. And hopefully as, we, as the year continues, that the more that Europe uh, opens up again, that hopefully people will get back to normal and all you know, markets will continue to improve again. Yeah, and we are, and then we as consumers have a role making sure that we're buying Irish and, you know, where possible, buy uh, local as well. Okay, listen, Tim, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, Tim Cullinan, who is the president of the IFA. Billy says on TikTok, I can't understand why contractors take on some of these young lads. Some of them can be as young as 15 or 16. They're driving massive vehicles, and they end up driving them out on the public road. I'm a lorry driver. I had to do a CPC course and yet these 16 year olds can come against me driving the same load as I do. Uh, Surely this whole issue of this trend on TikTok is showing that something has to be done about it. 1850-333-103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11. Uh, On the way in the next hour we'll be remembering Brendan Boyer by chatting with our own uh, John Green and also finding out how hotels and restaurants are preparing to get ready for coming out of lockdown. Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie The government roadmap for reopening society and business to ease the COVID-19 restrictions has begun. These positive steps being made will see certain retail opening again. Now, more than ever, it's important that we respect social distancing and hand hygiene when shopping. Let's make sure these positive steps can continue. We can all play our part and we'll all benefit together with a better economy. So remember, before heading out to the shops, you should plan ahead. Avoid shopping in groups. Take your own shopping bags. If using a basket or trolley, sanitize its handle and try to use your non-dominant hand to pick up goods. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just some reaction in uh, to the piece that I did with Tim Cullinan, the president of the IFA, on those TikTok videos that are doing the rounds of very immature, as the only uh, way we could describe them, uh, young lads getting involved in really stupid, stupid pranks on large, some of it on very large farm machinery, just an accident waiting to happen. Frank and Kinsale said those that were doing those videos, particularly those that were doing it on a public road, the video footage should be handed over to the Gardaí. They should be tracked down and given six months in jail. They're putting themselves and others at risk. These machines in the wrong hands can be dangerous and can kill. These machines should be treated like a loaded gun. And Niall in Glanmire says the licences of those caught should be taken off them. They should be suspended. It is the only way to teach these people. And some of your WhatsApps in there were silage contractors passing yesterday evening in the Gagan area in West 
Cork and the speed of the tractors was an absolute disgrace. This texter says it, if they had to stop suddenly God only knows what would have happened. No one would even go for a walk on the road yesterday as they would have been blown off the road. And that signed a concerned mother who had to keep her children in all evening due to the lunatics driving these uh, tractors. And then another listener says the problem Patricia, young brains are childish. I know a 13 year old a 13 year old driving a tractor near my home. I know his age because he's the same age as my own son. Tearing up and down the road. Uh, it's it's the age is the problem. A 25-year-old, even a 20-year-old wouldn't do this, climbing on top of the machinery and messing. It's the young boys driving and being allowed is the problem. They don't have the sense. Uh, by the way, he was on the road another day and he had his eight-year-old sitting in the cab with him. Something has to be done about it. 1850-333-103. John Paul continues to take your calls. Now, as we've been reporting this morning, the legendary Waterford entertainer Brendan Boyer has died at the age of 81. The singer, who had six number ones, passed away in Las Vegas last evening. He was surrounded by his family, his wife of 53 years, Stella, and his three children, Brendan Jr., Ashleen and Clodagh, and not forgetting his two beloved grandchildren, Liam and Nora Stella. May Brendan Boyer rest in peace. Our own John Green uh, recorded what is probably now one of the last ever interviews with Brendan Boyer and John Green joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, And you're welcome to the programme. Now, just the background, how did your interview with him a couple of weeks ago, how did that come about? Yeah, it was um, completely by chance, really, because, um, you know, anybody involved in music or anybody involved in interviews would love to interview Brendan Boyer. And I never had down through the years. And I was thinking of it. And then there were all these rumours, especially last year, that he was very unwell, uh, that he was at death's door, and even a few rumours that he had actually passed away. So I put it out of my mind. And then just a few weeks ago, I was just kind of looking around, looking for ideas. And I came across um, Clodagh Boyer, his daughter's website. And she was talking about her dad and all this sort of thing. So I sent her an email and I asked her, would she be interested in joining me on Where the Road Takes Me and uh, get your dad to do likewise? And straight away, email came back. Yeah, we'd both love to do it. Just a few little rules and regulations to adhere to and uh, we'll be on our way. And the rules were that you weren't to tire him out. Yeah, that, yeah, that was definitely one of the rules. The second one was that um, what I intended to do was to record them separately and then edited together. But Clodagh told me that her dad wished her to be with him um, at the same time. Now, there was one problem with that, and that was he was in Las Vegas and she was in Los Angeles. The interview was to be done by mobile phone, and I was suspicious of that in the sense that mobile phone interviews always turn out wrong, reception-wise, etc. But not only that, the interview then with Brendan was was to be done with a mobile phone uh, dialed to Cloda and then using conference call to bring in Brendan on a mobile phone from Las Vegas. And as far as I was concerned, that was a recipe for disaster. But I had to go along with it, and I did, and I was totally wrong. It turned out absolutely brilliant. (laughs) I I just could not get over it. And what sort of form Uh, was he in? 
Well, um, that's an interesting question. The first interview I did was on a Thursday night, and I had to come back into the station at 10 o'clock at night because um, in Las Vegas, they're 10 hours, or they're 8 hours behind us. So that was 2 o'clock in Las Vegas. So I recorded him on the first Thursday night, and he was in great form. And Cloda was there, and when I finished with Brendan, um, Brendan hung up, and I said, I'll talk to you again next Thursday night. And then I continued the conversation and the interview with uh, Cloda. But on the second night, I noticed... And when I rang Cloda, uh, and then she would put Brendan through on the conference call, she said to me, I don't think my dad is up to it this evening. He's not feeling that well. So I said, OK, um, look, I possibly have enough for two programs, putting in uh, the songs as well. But she said, I can always contact my sister, Ashling, who actually toured with him for years and years and toured with him all over Ireland and played in the Opera House and the Everyman and all those sort of uh, good venues. And uh, we did, we recorded the interview, and uh, that was it. I said, thank you. And I was walking out the door, going home. Uh, the next minute, my phone rang, Claude on the phone. Uh, Look, I've got my dad. He's after getting a second wind. Uh, can you come back and, and interview him? And I went back in, and I interviewed him. But you could tell he wasn't up for it. And he was a little bit, you know, uh, here and there. He couldn't remember dates and events as well as he could remember them the previous week okay. but I did get five or six minutes uh, with him and uh, that was that and uh, he had and heart was, problems and it was Claude uh, contacted you this morning to say her beloved father had passed away yeah I got, got an email from her early this morning and when I just looked at my emails and I saw uh, John, it is with heavy heart. And then I opened it. And I knew very well what was coming. And she told me that, she, that uh, he had passed away uh, peacefully last night. Uh, his family, his beloved family were with him. And, um, mm. you know, it so, was very sad. So, he was, what, so, 81 years of age. Yeah. So, so uh, sad. And I suppose the minute you yeah. hear Brendan Boyer, I mean, straight away, the Hucklebuck. And he, he told you the story that the Hucklebuck was actually the B-side of the single. Yeah. Yeah, the B-side, their first release seemingly was uh, Come Down the Mountain, Katie Daly, which was sung by the late Tom Dumphy. And their first number one was Kiss Me Quick. And then they released I Ran All the Way Home as an A-side and the Hucklebuck as a B-side. But all, well, the radio stations, there weren't too many that time. The radio stations flicked it over and started playing the Hucklebuck. And then they released it again, and uh, it became a huge number one. And uh, I think Kiss Me Quick was in the charts for eight weeks, and uh, the Hucklebuck even longer. So it was a great song. Yeah, it was fantastic. Tim by text says, Brendan Boyer's father was the organist and choir master at Waterford Cathedral. And I think he was also involved with the Waterford Light Opera Festival and the Wexford Opera uh, Festival. Uh, and that's correct. Brent, both of Brendan's parents were classically trained, weren't they? Uh, they were indeed, yes. Um, uh, Brendan's father um, was a very talented musician and singer in classical music. And he, uh, Tim is right, he did play in Waterford Cathedral. He also played in the cathedral in Killarney as well. And I think at some stage, the priest at some stage came along to him and said, um, you know, you're not a Catholic, are you? And uh, Brendan's dad said, well, not a practicing one. Yeah, OK, I, I reckon it's going to be OK. So he, he continued, but he did play in Killarney Cathedral. And then he 
he met Brendan's mom and she became interested in uh, classical music and she was a trained opera singer as well. So it's a case of Britain and Duke, so the apple rarely falls far from the tree. Yeah, because somebody was remembering uh, earlier that Brendan's sister was one of the Bunratty singers and a fine singer as well. So music, it's a family that very much steeped in uh, music. The Royal Show Band, uh, he spoke to you about how the name for the Royal Show Band came about. Yeah, I think it was um, uh, I think it was Jim Conlon came up with the name uh, the Royal, and it was named after a theatre in Waterford, and they used that name uh, to give the band this aura of quality, you know, Royal, and and that's what they were. I mean, they were a quality band, and uh, Joe Mack also featured in the program I did on Brendan Byer a few weeks back, and he told me that they learned so much from the Royal Show Band that the uh, the Royal played in. Uh, the Arcadia one night and Joe and the lads were there and uh, they just saw how they operated and, uh, you know, the quality and the rehearsals and the work they'd put into their show. And they learned a lot from them. And I think Brendan said he played for um, his first time in the, in the Arcadia was for, uh, I think it was for a dairy gold dance or something like that. And there were 500 people at it and they were so good. They were invited back again, was it six months later? And there was something like four or five thousand at the gig. Incredible. <laughs> as, yeah. as people said, he's been, he yeah. was Ireland's Elvis, uh, really. I, I have a clip here um, from the interview. Do you want to lead into what that's about? Oh, yeah, that's 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 funny in the sense that uh, they played in in Liverpool, which, of course, everybody knows is the home turf of the Beatles. And the band that supported them that night was a band called the Beatles. And uh, he was saying to me that um, uh, the Beatles arrived in uh, motorbikes and the Royal Show Band arrived in Mercedes minibuses, a Mercedes minibus to carry the gear and a Mercedes minibus to carry the band members as well. And was it a few months later, about four or five months later, after that gig, the Beatles released a song called Love Me Do and the rest, as they say, is history. But not too many uh, bands or groups can... Um, credit themselves with having been supported by the Beatles. Katie Daly was the first release from the Royal and it featured the late Tom Dunphy on vocals. The band's first number one came soon afterwards with a song called Kiss Me Quick which featured Brendan on vocals. We, we, we had a skiffle board going and a bit of skiffle and we played Katie Daly to that in the ballrooms and it was highly well received so Tom we, re- I, we recorded all our all our stuff in Abbey Road, by the way, in John's Wood, and which is re- renowned for the Beatles, you know. But actually, the Beatles did play a warm up to us in on April the fourth, April the twenty fourth in in uh, nineteen sixty two. It wasn't until I think about August they made Love Me Do, which went into the British charts. You see. Yeah. So they were big in Liverpool, but we were we were actually <laughs> we, we had a, just a huge Irish following. We probably might have we, we were top of the bill, you know. Incredible the way he could even uh, remember dates. And he's been living in. He relocated to Las Vegas in the seventies and and made it his home. Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, Jim Conlon and uh, Brendan and Tom Dunphy left the uh, Royal Show Band, and really after that happened. Uh, the Royal Show but never reached the lofty heights that they did before. It was just too big a gap to... I mean, Tom Dunphy and Brendan Boyer were the two main men in, in the Royal Show Band. And then Brendan and Tom formed the Big Eight, and half of their year was spent touring in, uh, in, in Las Vegas, and half 
uh, back home here in Ireland. But then they relocated to Las Vegas, and he's been there ever since. And he was saying to me, I asked him, you know, obviously that he had settled in quite well in Las Vegas, and he said, yes, I have. And my family are close to me. Uh, Claude is in Los Angeles, and Ashling is here in Las Vegas, and Brendan, and obviously his wife Stella as well. And uh, he was saying to me that, yeah, I'm very well settled here, but... I really do miss Watford an awful ah. lot, and I'm really I'm hoping to get back there one more time. Yeah, which obviously and I he's saw not going to do now. I saw the family actually put that up on their their tweet when they were announcing or their social media post where they were announcing his death. They actually mentioned that that he had hoped uh, to get home one more time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He was missing. Sad. He was missing. Yeah. Yeah. Dreadfully sad. Okay, and his. Uh, this was something I was unaware of. His. Family are all professional tennis players, but there's a reason why they became tennis players. Yeah, that's right. Um, His wife, Stella, whom he met in Galway, uh, he saw her uh, walking across a hotel foyer and he just thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world. And what he didn't know was that he was very friendly with with her sister. And uh, through her sister, uh, he got to know her pretty well and they got married. But when they moved to Las Vegas then, uh, this must have been very grueling. He was doing three shows in the one night in Las Vegas, every night. And then obviously used to arrive home maybe at three, four o'clock in the morning and go to bed. So Stella then left the house early in the morning so as to give him peace and quiet to sleep. So she had to get something to do. So she learned how to play tennis. She became very good at it. And Stella and especially Ashling and Brendan and indeed Claude as well, um, they're professional tennis players. Wow. And when, uh, do you remember the, the series, um, oh, what, what's his name, the Sopranos? Yeah. Um, when, uh, when the Sopranos were running, uh, they needed a tennis coach who could act. And uh, they came to Claude because Claude is an actor. And uh, she's also a tennis coach as well. And I think it was Andrea Gassi's father who uh, trained them. Uh, as tennis players, yeah, that's incredible. And, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, Claude played. Claude played a part of the Sopranos as a tennis coach. I wonder. So. Wh- I and I suppose now with with restrictions and all of that, he he'll hardly come home to be buried to Watford. I would imagine not. No. I I would think he'd be probably buried in, in Las, Las Vegas, Vegas where uh, all his family are at present. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and people want to know that the, the, your, the your your program on Brendan Boyer when the road takes me is there any chance that's going to be played out? Um, you mean to re- to repeat it? Yeah. Um, highly unlikely at this stage. Now, I will be doing on Sunday morning on the Irish Sunday program. I will be playing pieces from it. Will you? But okay. to rerun it again, yeah, to rerun it again, I uh, not for a while anyway, okay. because uh, I mean it, ju- it it went on air about three weeks ago, so yeah. it's a bit too soon, I think. Again, okay, but yeah. we we can hear we can hear um, some of it on Sunday morning in, in on your own program. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Listen, uh, John. Thank you for that, and thanks for sharing those memories with us. No problem. Delighted, Patricia. Good, good morning to you. Good morning to you. That's our own John Green. Your foot can't help but tap along to that uh, song and the now late great Brendan Boyer and the Hucklebuck. And Tim says, Tom Allen Carrick and Shore, both uh, suburbs of Waterford have produced Frank Patterson and the Clancy family. Their sister Peg Power was a highly regarded singer. Can I interject and say she was also my first boss in radio? 
also says Tim diff- and other different acts Waterford has given us Val Dunick and Brendan Boyer and Gilbert real name Robert O'Sullivan who now is the only one remaining Brendan Boyer enjoyed his Irish tours late into his career Kappa Quinn was a concert venue but it was the Arch in Tallow eight miles away was the venue in the days of the Royal Show Band and that comes in from Tim thank you for that Tim to 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. It's time. Due to COVID-19, cocooning is advised for all people over 70 years old. If a family member or friend is cocooning, here's some helpful advice. They should stay home and avoid face-to-face contact. Keep in touch by phone or online. Stay mobile by moving as much as possible. Go for a short walk while maintaining strict social distancing. Ask others to get shopping or medicine. Use the phone to contact their GP or other services. And remember, no visitors except for essential carers. It's time to this message is supported by Home Instead Senior Care. Their staff are fully equipped to ensure your loved one's safety in their own homes. See homeinstead.ie. For COVID-19 updates and information, stay listening to C103. This time next month, cafes and restaurants providing on-premises food and beverages will be preparing to reopen on June the 29th, which is the start of phase three of the government's roadmap on the easing of COVID-19 restrictions. So to discuss how restaurants and hotels are preparing for reopening, I'm joined by Neil Grant, who is the general manager of the Celtic Ross in Roscarbury. Good morning to you, Neil. Morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and oh, I'm, I'm well and you're very welcome to the programme. Firstly, how tough has it been to close the doors of your hotel? Uh, it's been really tough. Uh, I think uh, the, the best way you could describe the last, uh, I think it's almost 10 weeks now, believe it or not, uh, it's just been a roller coaster. It's just, uh, I think you go through weeks which are tougher than others. Uh, I think that uh, each of us, there's probably about 11 of us in the team uh, that are still working full time and kind of minding the property and you know, had been doing kind of, uh, there's a gang of them had been doing night shifts and some manning the phones. So I think each take it in turns to, to find it tough one week. So it's been a, a real team effort to just keep ourselves uh, going and motivated. So no, it's been it's been a hard time. And you started doing takeaway food? Yeah, we just started last week. We actually, um, I think in March, uh, when, when COVID-19 hit, we were regretting investing in a food truck. <laughs> we thought it was, you know, money that we maybe should have uh, held on to um, but uh, as the time went on and we realised that we were in for a long uh, closure we kind of decided we'd reopen it uh, rebrand it on, on a different name <clears throat> and we'd, we'd try and uh, you know at least do a bit of takeaway so we're doing you know takeaway teas coffees and, and such like in the morning and then we're doing takeaway dinners by pre-order so well done you know, well done so it's, uh, it's kept the door open and it's kept uh, the, the connection with the community alive you know that's the main thing and and like with so many other businesses, you've been keeping your social media updated, which I think is is so important. I saw your is it your 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 leisure guy doing the workouts? Yeah, we've got uh, we've actually been very lucky. Um, uh, you know, whilst you can encourage the team to do these things, you know, they've got to have a bit of a flair for it. So we've had uh, Eddie, our leisure manager, has been doing home workouts once a week, normally every Sunday or so. I get WhatsApp. Uh, a home workout with a, a little bit of blurb uh, to put up in social media 
and then we've had Shane, our chef, who uh, did a couple of Instagram live Sunday brunches. Great idea. Uh, one with one of his kids, which was great crack. There was <laughs> loads of uh, mums and dads and kids who were cooking uh, fluffy pancakes. And That's such terrific. Like. That, that is so terrific. So it's been little things like that have been quite good for, again, just keeping the faces of the team out there and, and the connection with the, the community. So it's been really nice. Okay, so you get to open your restaurant, the uh, the Kingfisher Bistro. You get to open that before you get to open up the hotel. So how, how are you preparing for the opening of the restaurant? I mean, I'm assuming social distancing is the real challenge. Yeah, uh, we we actually did uh, uh, we did a survey with our our guests. Now this would have been really our hotel database, um, but uh, we sent it out on an e-sign, and we got actually over a hundred responses uh, to the survey. And it was very simple; it was two or three things. But the one thing that came up time and time again: was social distancing, uh, no overcrowding, uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> as the main things that would make our guests feel safe. So I think whilst you can talk about all the different measures, the critical thing will be you know, that people can come into the building, feel that it's not jam-packed, feel that there's enough space between tables and that, the, you know, that there's, there's the, the space that they can relax. And I think we'd done a lot of that before we closed. I mean, it was probably a week in March when this really kicked off where we were still open. And uh, I remember in one night in particular, uh, Alex, our exec chef, a couple of the teams stayed on late and removed all the tables, you know, so that we had just the exact number that we, we needed and they were at the right distance, the two-meter social distancing. And I think we had a one of our last services we did was Sunday lunch, and we, you know, where we'd normally have queues coming out the carvery and such like. We we did the dinner from the from the kitchen. We didn't have the carvery per se. Uh, we we just admitted kind of one one family or one group at a time, and we had the uh, table spaced out. And we got great feedback when you know over the closure period, whenever we met someone, you know, or spoke to them, they they said. You know, fair play to you. I was walking the property a couple of times and, you know, just checking tidiness and such like. And a couple of people shouted from the road and mentioned the fact that they'd been in on that Sunday and that they felt a sense of space. So I think that's going to be the critical thing. Um, we're awaiting the guidelines from uh, Fulch Ireland and the Hotel Federation as to exactly the measures we need to take. So, But we've got our own stuff in the background. But I think the number one will be, you know, the sanitising, the public areas cleaning, and then it will certainly be a you know, a, a hosted entrance, you know, we'll have one entrance, one exit, we'll be bringing, meeting people at the door, bringing them to a table, and then they'll go out by a different door, mm. and we'll have a restriction on the number of covers. So we're just awaiting whether it's two metre social distancing. Yeah, one, one metre, oh yeah, that's going to make a huge, I mean, two metres and one metre mightn't sound like a lot, but it will make a huge difference. Huge difference, yeah, yeah. like it's the difference in about 40 covers. I mean, yeah. already, like, you know, uh, you know, at two metre social distancing, we're blessed in some respects. We've got a big ground floor for anyone that's been in the hotel, so there's loads of space. And I think with the functions uh, all moving back to next year and the weddings moving to next year uh, because of the, the restrictions, I mean, we're not going to have a great demand to use the function room. So we do have that space we can fall back on too. Uh, but in the function room, two metres versus one metre is the difference between being able to do 60 people in that room or doing 100. Yeah, you know, it's a big so difference. It's, it's, it's a, a big, big difference. difference. But, if you're a you small know, restaurant, I'd feel for you. It's, it's a really, really difficult thing for a small restaurant to have to deal with. But but credit to you and, and the staff for putting you know the groundwork in now. Uh, and you are right because people 
will only come back if they feel confident and then will continue to come back because I remember when it was in China in Wuhan where one of the you know when they reopened initially there was a fear factor with people yeah. about going out that people need to feel I mean people will be desperate to get out and have a yeah. meal and there's so many birthdays that need to be celebrated yeah, yeah, but they're going to want to have to feel confident yeah, look, we, I think that was the nice thing last weekend when we opened the food truck for the takeaway. I mean, the support we got was fantastic. But the two things, like when you were chatting to people at the, the two metres and you were standing your distance, number one, they did say we're desperate to get out and do something and thank you for giving us something you know, to do. Now, they were just pitching up, they were getting their food, they were going again, so they were not dwelling, not, not dwelling with you for any length of time. But you could see a slight trepidation. How do I approach? You no, know, it's meal, you know. I can't shake hands. I better stand back, you know. And I was the same, you know. So you're very much there is this this feeling of how do you act? And I think that people will be a little, even the people you know so well. There's a, there's a slight trepidation. So if you're someone venturing out for a family meal for the first time, then it is it's going to be a funny a funny feel. And so look, we I mean, in the food truck because it's close proximity, and although we try and keep two meter social distancing, it's a small truck and there's two people operating out of it. So we do use face masks in there for those staff. And, you know, I certainly had a face mask on, even though I was standing outside and trying to just keep an eye on, you know, that people were, were social distancing. You know, I still had it there just in case in a, in a moment in time that I was getting a bit close to someone. So um, I think within the hotel, it's a wee bit more uncertain. We don't, um, we're still, as I say, once we know the guidelines, we'll know exactly You'll be what able to, We've yeah. got scenario one, a scenario two, and a scenario three. <laughs> Yeah. A COVID team that meets on a weekly basis every Tuesday, which is made up of the management team, and we're we're talking week by week, and we're we're just trying to prepare. So, look, I think within a week to ten days, we should have preliminary kind of um, you know procedures which will roll out. But believe me, we will not take a chance. We will not be taking more business than we feel comfortable. We will not be putting anyone, our staff or our guests, that will be their safety will be the number one priority. So that will trump us. Well done, well done. Um, someone someone says, could you ask Neil, will will you be able to sell alcohol? Uh, <laughs> can I have a glass of wine with my dinner? Like, <laughs> um, I believe you can, but okay. I, again, we need clarity. Uh, I think when the restaurant opens, I think it won't be, like, you won't be able to have the bar open per se. So, you know, uh, we will probably have to look at using a space where the bar isn't, I would think. Now, this is me speculating a little bit, so to be careful. Um I think you're, you'll be, I would imagine you'll be able with the meal that you consume to have something. There will be no dwelling for alcohol. There will be no coming in, you know, and, and just having a drink. That, that, won't be, uh, that won't be acceptable, I'd say. We, we need to clarify, we will have an area for the hotel when the hotel opens on the 20th of July. We'll have a residence-only space, uh, which will just be a lounge. You know, it'll just be space that if it's a rainy day or they just want to read a paper and relax. We'll have it, uh, you know, so that we can then control the flow. That there's X number of people in the hotel. There's, there's, uh, uh, you know, seating for a percentage of those people. If they were all at once, then you know uh, that they can they can dwell. And we'll we'll probably look to waive the, you know, the tray charge for breakfast, so that if someone does feel more comfortable in breakfast in the room. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at all these things, but number one that we just need clarity on is the exact rules around drinking. Um, uh, as I say, I, I believe that it should be fine to have a drink with your meal, but certainly it will be an absolute no-no, I'd say, to be, you know, yeah, you wouldn't be accepting people in to, you know, just sit and have table service. And yeah, you won't, no, it'll be, be, yeah, be right. But I just, 
don't know 100%. And that's the slight frustration we have at the moment for any business trying to plan. If you're trying to plan, but you don't actually know what you're planning for, it yeah, makes give, give you the information so they Give you the information yeah. so you can move on from there. OK, it will be our new normal, though. We'll just all have to get used to it. Uh, yeah. Neil, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly uh, speak again uh, closer to when the restaurant and the hotels are due to uh, reopen. Yeah. But in the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, is it a beautiful day in Ross Garbury? Have you it's been, lovely, yeah. It's it? a t- tiny bit. It was, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's a bit of steam mist coming in and out a little bit, but no, it'll burn off and it'll be uh, roasting hot. Again, a good few days. <laughs> okay, nice for the weekend if it's within your five kilometres, folks. So we have to keep Absolutely. that in mind. All right, Neil, listen, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. And uh, look after yourselves and stay safe. Bye bye. That is uh, Neil Grant, the general manager of the Celtic Ross in Ross Carberry, 1850 I When I was speaking with John Green and somebody was asking about that programme he recorded with uh, Brendan Boyer, uh, it is up on a podcast. Uh, because it was it was it was broadcast about three weeks ago, but it is up in a podcast, so you can listen back at uh, c103.ie. A couple of people commenting on my chat with uh, John Green, uh, remembering the now late great Brendan Boyer, who sadly passed away yesterday evening. Mike Fitzgerald from Southern Pride uh, says uh, we played backup band, support band to Brendan Boyer's The Royal Show Band in the Majestic Ballroom, where I'm broadcasting from at the moment, uh, the Highland in Newmarket, Mill Street, and lots more places. So sad to hear of his passing and then to hear the story that you are certainly in very good company, Mike uh, because the Beatles also played support at one stage to Brendan Boyer's Royal uh, Show Band uh, so you're, you're in good company there for sure. Hi Patricia says Margaret and Tallow. I'm heartbroken to hear about Brendan uh, Boyer. There's so many people actually saying, sending in texts like that he had a lot of, lot of fans a lot of fans uh, certainly here in Cork. Hi Patricia, so sad to hear of the death of Brendan Boyer. He was wonderful. The first time I heard him was in Waterford when I was just a teenager. I worked in De La Salle College and we used to go dancing near the college. I also knew his father. He used to play the organ in the college. That's from Anne Deneen. Thank you for that, Anne. People having lovely, lovely memories of the late, great uh, Brendan Boyer. Now, Fiona Corcoran and her Frontline Diaries. She met up with the Mahan Community Development Projects that works with elderly and people with mental issues. They had to close, but they came up with new ways of working with their clients and ensuring that they would all be okay during the COVID-19 crisis. The doors of the Mahan Community Development Project shut when COVID-19 hit. But Project Coordinator Viv Saad says the team, who run a resource learning centre for the elderly and those with mental health issues, had to come up with new ways of working with their clients. Lining up volunteers to do small things for people, uh, which are important things as well. Anything from, you know, pensions and food and things like this, but also a lot of cancer patients who weren't able to get to their appointments. We also had some incidences then with people then, like there was somebody living on their own um, who, uh, whose fridge broke down, somebody's washing machine, things like this that people forget about that go on in, in everyday life. One of those volunteers is local resident John Kennedy, who's not only shopping for people, but who's making time for a chat. Hello. It's that social interaction that we're all used to having neighbours and family and friends and being able to go out to the shop and go out to the post office and do stuff. And suddenly we have people for the last two months plus that have been inside in their own homes and basically getting as far as the front gate, not seeing that many people. Um, and just being able to stop and kind of say, how's it going? And 
you know, uh, learn stuff from uh, football matches from wherever or, you know, family living in England or wherever they are. So it's just sharing that moment. And it brings, I think, a, a, a bit of spark to the face and smile. John is also visiting graves for people. Taking a photograph of the grave and just telling them that the flowers are doing fine. And, and it just means so much because, you know, it's a loved one, it's a husband, it's a wife. It's a, sadly, in some cases, it's, it's a child. Um, and just being able to bring the photograph back and they can kind of share that moment. Um, and I just think it's very important because it's like it's connecting them into the world, but in a very different way. Viv says they became very aware of the need for social interaction and stimulation. So they gave out 150 activity packs last month and are doing the same today. Somebody who works in the crash is a great artist. So she did some, um, you know, mindfulness uh, artwork. Somebody else is a great cook here, and so she made some lovely, healthy, homemade cookies. And one went in every pack, along with the menu, you know, for everybody. And um, we put some bubbles in there because our our motto here is, you know, it's just uh, it's play is a very, very important thing, and that you're never too old to play. And uh, somebody here is, writes poetry, so it was a lovely poem put in. We put some wildflower seeds in. So that somebody could, people could go and do that. And there were some quizzes and some mind games and things like that. And a lovely uh, batch of exercises, you know, from the HSE that they put together. Uh, and some relaxation exercises and some songs. Because singing is a big thing for us when we're together as groups with people here. So we just encourage people to, to enjoy singing the songs that they love and sing them out loud. Viv says it's all about staying connected. The feedback from the gift packs was that um, that kind of stimulation, that sensory stimulation... Was, was wonderful for people to uh, have their night. You know, so we're just looking forward to getting the next ones out uh, next week. But really what we're looking forward to is getting everybody back uh, as soon as we can. Uh, thank you. That is uh, Fiona Corcoran there and her Frontline Diaries on a Friday. What a wonderful group of people they sound like at Mahan Community Development Project. And, you know, they're doing such fantastic work. But I loved that and such a simple thing. And it will mean so much to so many people when uh, was in a John uh, Kennedy, one of the volunteers said he's gone out to graves and taken photographs and then sent them on to people to show them, you know, the flowers are doing well. And, you know, because people back in March when they would have last visited the grave might have planted some bulbs or, you know, put in some bedding plants or whatever. And now, of course, everything is in full bloom. And just for people to know when they couldn't get to their graveyard, when they couldn't get to their grave, that somebody else had gone to the bother of going and taking photographs. A simple, such a simple thing to do, but it will mean so much to that person. So well done to the Mahan Community Development Project. They are the type of organisations, you know, something that we can be so proud of. And it's groups like that that make this country, the wonderful country uh, that it is. Uh, And actually later on after 12, we're going to be running a piece looking for people to nominate uh, Frontline Heroes so one of our local councillors has come up with kind of a little bit of a competition. They're trying to find out people that have, you know, who are going above and beyond during this COVID-19 uh, crisis. And, you know, frontline heroes don't always have to be doctors and nurses. They, they, of course, are in themselves frontline heroes. But you can have frontline heroes working in a development group like that and just doing so much to keep people going and to keep people sane and to give people, you know, the 
I mean, the practical things of what they need, but just to give them a little bit of comfort uh, during this time. So well done to everybody there in the Mahan Community Development Project. And we acknowledge all of the different community development projects that are out there who are all doing the most incredible work. 1850 John Paul taking your call. Um, Now, Spanish archaeologists who uh, have believed they have found the final resting place of one of Ireland's most famous rebels. Red Hugh O'Donnell who died more than 400 years ago to fill us in on the story I'm joined by UCC historian uh, Dr Hiram Morgan who is acknowledged as one of the world's leading experts on Red Hugh O'Donnell um, Good morning to you Hiram Hello, hi uh, I, I'm very well, you're welcome to the programme I know we've been having problems with your phone line but that sounds uh, crystal clear Now before we talk about what's going on in Spain can you just remind us who Red Hugh O'Donnell was we all would have remembered this name and this character from our school and to me the Battle of Kinsale is something I always associate with Red Hugh O'Donnell Sure Well, uh, Red Hugh O'Donnell famously led uh, the Irish together with his father-in-law uh, Hugh O'Neill, Earl of Tyrone and they were this joint alliance uh, which they led against the English at the end of the, the 16th century. And, uh, of course, they were very successful for um, about five years, but then uh, they were losing the war at the end. The Spanish arrive in Conceal, and they lose the Battle of Conceal. They failed to join up with the Spaniards as Conceal. And then it was after that that Reggio O'Donnell went to Spain. That's right. Well, he went to Spain seeking uh, further assistance, like that he needed a, a second Spanish expedition had to come uh, to uh, assist the Irish, uh, or, or otherwise the war was completely lost. But he didn't make it back. No, uh, the uh, illness caught, caught up with him in Spain. Like he had a meeting with the uh, Spanish king after after he arrived in February. 1602, and he was awaiting another meeting with him in uh, September 1602 in a sort of fairy tale castle, or at least it is now, Simancas, uh, and uh, but he dies there. Okay, and and he, what was he? There were stories that he was poisoned. Well, the uh, governor of Munster, George Carew, um, he took up the offer of uh, another Irishman, James Blake, a Galway man who offered to go to um, Spain and assassinate Red Hugh. Um, and then uh, when um, when Carew heard that Red Hugh had died in Spain, he assumed that Blake had done the deed, that he had poisoned Red Hugh. But from the Spanish records and the Irish who were at his um, bedside when he died, there doesn't seem to be anything untoward uh, we know that Blake had no access to O'Donnell and um, it, O'Donnell seems to have died of natural causes. Yeah, it looked like it was some lung um, disorder, wasn't it? Didn't he, have a, didn't he have a lung worm or something? Well, he had, there was a worm he coughed up. He may have had some parasite, uh, possibly from the days when he escaped from Dublin Castle or something. Uh, but also, he, he seems to have had a, a fever for maybe 17 days. He lay right. in bed ill from a fever. So he seems to have died of natural causes. And he also seems to have died, He doesn't seem to have died of the plague, which, of course, kills you more or less, uh, you know, after a day or two. So he seems to have died of some uh, some fever. OK, but he was young. He was only late 20s. He, he was uh, 
just reaching about, he was nearly 30. Nearly yeah. 30, okay. So uh, has it always been known where he's buried? It has. Like uh, the um, his biographer, Louis O'Cleary, uh, tells us that, that he, he, he was buried in this monastery of St. Francis in Valladolid, which was just uh, about 10 kilometres from the castle of Simancas. So we know he was buried there, and indeed in his uh, will, which we also have, uh, uh, he asked he asked to be buried in in Valladolid in this Franciscan church because all the Irish chieftains had great grow for 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 the Franciscans. Okay, but the the, the the chapel is gone. The chapel isn't isn't there anymore. Sure, it's not. That's right. This uh, uh, the. Monasteries, a lot of monasteries in Spain were dissolved in the 19th century uh, by a, a liberal government, and basically the area was built over in now where the chapel stood. There's a road, and it's roadworks and deep pedestrianisation, which seems to have enabled this dig to take place. So the the dig is is ongoing, and there well, there was a bit of excitement earlier in the week because they found the remains of what looked like a large man, and there was hopes that it might have been Red Hugh O'Donnell. But Red Hugh O'Donnell had a very identifiable feature: he was missing toes. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, as a result of his um, his escape from Dublin Castle, he he was lost and had a lie out in the mountains south of Dublin. And during that time, he suffered frostbite, and indeed his companion, whom he escaped with, Art O'Neill, Art O'Neill, of course, froze to death. But Red Hugh, when he returned to Donegal, um, uh, they had to amputate his big toes. So that would be a very identifiable that the uh, one of these skeletons is missing big toes. Um, and, um, you know, if, if, even before you do DNA or whatever, that if, the, if a skeleton was missing big toes... Uh, you know that would be him, and indeed. But um, the one, that, but the, the the body of the big man, the bones of the big man that was found has all the toes. So that's not. It's not oh him. yeah, and indeed, other descriptions of Red who describe him as being of average height. Oh yeah. Uh, so, okay. So we're, and, we're we're not looking the big man. I don't know how the Spaniards ever thought he was in the picture, but okay. there you go. And and hear him if it comes down to DNA, is that possible? Oh yeah. Well, the, the unfortunate thing about. It, uh, uh, Red Hugh himself as he didn't have any children so he would have no descendants but there's plenty of O'Donnell DNA out there I was I said to somebody else uh, ringing me up you know that you know they could test Daniel O'Donnell or something you know. <laughs> Daniel or O'Donnell he'd love that <laughs> yeah or indeed there's a Spanish duke um, uh, also called Hugo uh, O'Donnell uh, and uh, he could be tested so there's Spanish so O'Donnell DNA and indeed in in all these uh, uh, companies that do genetic uh, family histories, they will there'll be plenty of O'Donnell DNA to confirm already. if the bones are and the, yeah. and and the dig continues. So we will keep a close uh, eye on this to see if they can find the remains of Red Hugh uh, O'Donnell. Uh, here we leave it there. Thank you for that though, and thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you. Good morning Cheers. to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Dr. Uh, Hiram Morgan, who is a, a professor of history at uh, UCC, talking about Red Hugh O'Donnell. As I say, we'll keep an eye on that archaeological dig going on to see if they will find his remains or not. Let's take a break with news at 12 midday on the way. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Get weekly news, event updates, and community. 
community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie. From Bantry to Buttevant to Hallow to Dunmanway and every area in between, we've got it covered. To listen, go to c103.ie and click Regional Reports or download the C103 app and click Podcasts. Regional Reports, only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Quick look at some of the stories making this week's local papers and... As we do every Friday, trying to encourage people when you're out and about doing your shopping this weekend, please consider buying a newspaper and if at all possible, please buy a local paper. The Carrickdoon are running with a story that 15 months on the community park is to finally get a toilet. This has been calls made for the public toilet, which is currently at the Onabwee car park in Carrigaline, to have it moved to the town's community park. Well, 15 months after it was originally reported, it has now emerged that a newer, more modern facility is set to take its place. So certainly that is good news uh, for the people of uh, Carrigaline. In the Southern Star, their front page story is the Skibbereen Convent will not be a direct provision uh, centre. Uh, obviously there was concerns in the area that the convent may be turned into a direct provision centre but it has been uh, denied. But a more worrying story, new fears for the future of Bantry Hospital. And this is a story that Michael Collins who joined us earlier is worried about ambulances that appear to be bypassed passing Bantry Hospital and heading straight into the Cork Hospitals uh, instead. And there's a lovely picture of baby Hurley Ex-Mayor is a dad. Congratulations to the former County Mayor, Councillor Declan Hurley and his wife Catherine who've welcomed a new baby boy into their lives uh, last week. And there's more about that uh, story inside in the Southern Star. In the Cork Man, there is a councillor calling for a suspension of pay parking in Mallow. Uh, Parking charges should be suspended for three months in order to give local businesses a bit of breathing room. That's the view of local County Councillor Gerold Murphy who's called on Cork County Council to implement the measure in order to encourage people back into the towns. I think with more shops opening that's something I think councils seriously are going to have to uh, look at. Uh, And also in the Cork Mam, the long running saga over the controversial plan to build a crematorium in North Cork is set to run beyond the summer. It's been confirmed a definitive decision on the proposal has been put back by almost two months. We were talking about this earlier in the year over the proposal by Classic Lodge Lodges, they want to turn the old Duhalla Park Hotel into a crematorium. But of course, Cork County Councillors, uh, they shot down the uh, plans uh, over with concerns over public health and the environment. Bill Brown writing about that in this week's Corkman. While in the Avenue, Mitchellstown streetscape is to get a, a revamp. It's under a major change in its streetscape. Engineers have drawn up new ways of operating in the town to combat COVID-19 and I think all towns are going to see uh, such changes going uh, forward and also inside in the Avenue they have a story of the management of a large apartment block in Fomoy Town said they erected infection outbreak signs on the doors of the property out of a duty of care the building is the Waterside Complex it's located on the corner of Abbey Street and Ash Key and they've put signage up on the doors saying notice infectious outbreak no visitors uh, allowed. 
Um, uh, and obviously that was put in place because of uh, COVID-19. Okay, there's some of the stories uh, from the Avendu who also report on brisk bookings for the corporate court ahead of a reopening at night. Uh, so that is good to hear. And the Vale Star, Mallow Star, they have the Cloyne Diocesan, a virtual pilgrimage to Lourdes because it should have been this weekend that pilgrims would have been heading on the Cloyne Diocesan pilgrimage. It's always on the June bank holiday weekend so they're going to do a virtual one. And there's also a story of the RT filmmaker Alice Fagan who visited Kilmallock last week as part of a documentary which he's putting together on the growth of Christianity in Ireland and he was astounded by the big magnificence of the Catholic Church of St. Peter and Paul's in uh, Kilmallock. OK, just some of the stories making the local papers today. Please support your local papers. Now, some of your texts coming in. This uh, this was just disappointing when I saw this. It says, hi, Patricia, would you be able to call this out for me, please? Could you give a message out to the horrible woman that came up behind me in Centra and when I asked her to please step back into the yellow box she started to swear out, swear at me out loud no bother at all I wanted to tell her to go and have lessons in manners by God she could do with them thanking you says Patricia yeah some people's tempers are getting very very frayed I think the majority of people are really good when we go into supermarkets and people are abiding by the social distancing and God knows the supermarkets have done enough in putting signage up and particularly when you get to the checkout it's very clearly marked where you should stand where you should wait until it's your turn and okay it's adding extra time to all of our shopping I appreciate that but we're all in this together and there is absolutely no need if somebody says you're standing a little bit too close to me could you please move back there is no call at all for anyone to start swearing at somebody else that is really really disappointing I hope you're okay because something like that can throw you as well if you've got somebody roaring in your face and roaring out obscenities it can really sort of uh, frighten you don't don't let it get to you She's whoever that woman is is obviously having a really really bad day and then Kathleen says, I'm worried about the crowds travelling to Dunneen Beach by Dunmore House as there seems to be no guard the, no guard the checkpoints. I'm a local resident and I'm wondering if other people notice there's been an increase obviously in numbers across this week. Now I do know that the Gardaí tell us that they are mounting additional checkpoints and patrols right across the city and county over the bank holiday weekend. They were reminding people you need to stick to your five kilometre uh, limit and uh, there's a quote in the Echo today from the Cork City Superintendent Cullum O'Sullivan uh, saying that they'll be out and about and they will turn, if you turn up and you're outside your five kilometre limit, you will be told to go home. Superintendent O'Sullivan said he appreciated that it was a stressful time for everyone but he said it's important that everybody respects the restrictions. He says don't travel to your holiday home, only make uh, essential journeys. They're also reminding people visiting parks and other amenities, you can only do it within the five kilometre of where you live. There should be no less than four people congregating together and the Gardaí will be out looking to disperse any large group and they're following the four E's which is uh, to engage with the public 
to educate the public, to encourage the public and then as a final resort they can enforce the restrictions when and if they are needed. And people who are planning on going on picnics and I accept lovely weekend, it is a bank holiday weekend, people will want to go out and about and a picnic is kind of a nice thing to do when the sun is shining. If you're planning on going on a picnic to your local park or to your uh, beach and you get there and the location is crowded. The advice coming from the government is go somewhere else. And this was advice that was given out yesterday by the senior government official, Liz Canavan. She's with the Department of the Taoiseach, isn't she? She previously had been discouraging people from having picnics in public amenities. A couple of weeks ago, she was out saying that people should use their uh, common... Or she's saying now that people need to use their common sense ahead of the bank holiday weekend. It's going to be lovely. The weather forecast is really great. But she is saying that when you arrive, if you arrive at a destination and there is a lot of people there, then she's saying to people, just consider going home have your picnic somewhere else. Now, obviously, she'd come out a few weeks ago telling people that they shouldn't be having picnics, that you should go out and have your exercise and that you shouldn't hang around for very long. She basically was saying, do your exercise and go home. And she actually said, you know, you shouldn't be out having picnics. And then, of course, last weekend, the the Shaklir Varadkar was photographed uh, and videoed, I think, as well with a group of friends and there was only four that kept to within their four. They were in the Phoenix Park and he was having a picnic. Now, the spokesperson has since come out saying that the Taoiseach didn't break any laws, he didn't breach any of the regulations and he he fully observed uh, public health guidance. So I smiled yesterday when I heard that Liz Canavan, who is with the Department of the Taoiseach, she was asked what was the advice for people who might want to have a picnic in the Phoenix Park. <laughs> they actually mentioned the Phoenix Park this weekend and she said that people should try to avoid spending too long in crowded places where social distancing is likely to become an issue. She said some places are more popular than others and if it's really, really busy, maybe she says consider you should go somewhere else. What she's basically saying to people is to please, please, please just use your common sense. Even though I flicked through the papers this morning and I'm assuming if I was looking at photographs from anywhere any of our scenic spots here in Cork would I be seeing the same but there was little sign of social distancing at the swimming spots in Dublin and there was I've come across lots of pictures both on social media and uh, in a lot of the papers today so I don't think everyone is abiding by the social distancing and I know was it yesterday or the day before we had some calls in from people saying the lock in Cork City was absolutely packed with people and of course it's a gorgeous place to go the weather has been great over the last 48 hours and actually I see Owen English is writing about how busy the lock has been since the sun has started shining but the downside to that I mean obviously you can go but you need to do the social distancing and all of that. But if you are going to go to a scenic place, be it to the beach or be it to the lock, and it is within your five kilometres and all of that, and places like Donnerell Park and, and Fosha and anywhere else that you're planning on going and getting some fresh air, would you please bring your rubbish home with you? Because according to an English in the Examiner today, piles of rubbish was left behind at the lock yesterday morning. Many of the bins around the lake overflowing. The City Council staff uh, cleared them away earlier but they filled up, overflowed and then when someone comes to a bin and the bin is overflowing, what do you do? You bring your rubbish home. You don't leave it beside the bin. Uh, Residents who live overlooking the lake says, this is, if you're having lunch, my apologies, Some of the local residents looking out have started noticing that people visiting the lock are urinating and defecating. Uh, 
uh, in the private in their private gardens and in the laneways. Representatives from several estates, including Lock Park, Valentina Villas, and Lock View, now plan to write to the city council calling for urgent action. They're expected to ask for the temporary installation of portaloos, particularly have them there during the summer months. They have suggested the loos could be placed in a council yard nearby. Uh, opened early in the morning and leave them open, say, until eight in the evening. And, and t- according to the paper today, local councillor Mick Finn says he's inundated with calls and emails from residents around the lock with thousands of people using what is a valuable uh, amenity. Uh, many of them are staying there all day. And of course, perfect storm for the lock, really. Uh, the good, uh, no toilet. So, but people are going to. Going to the toilet in somebody's garden, really, oh, really. Anyway, let's see. Will the council pick up on on that, and will they actually provide some kind of toilets? Because it's just not fair. It really is not fair on the people who live by the lock. Some of your WhatsApps in Liam says, "Morning, Patricia. So sorry to hear the news of Brendan Boyer's death. I played with a relief band, the Outlaws, in the seventies, and I remember playing with the Big Eight one night in Dundrum and Tipperary when we finished." our stint and introduced the band. The entrance doors were broken down by the hundreds queuing outside, which meant a few hundred people got in without paying. The same night, Brendan Boyer went right through the stage, which was made up of a chipboard material when he jumped into the air and jumping into the air was very usual for him during one of his songs. The Royal uh, Show Band were the best. Great memories and well done to John Green and what were two excellent programmes about Brendan Boyer, says Liam. Thank you for that, Liam. And as I mentioned, they are available as a podcast if you go to uh, c103.ie. And on laboratory testing, and this we spoke about earlier when Michael Collins, independent doll deputy for West Cork, joined us and he was saying that he was in a laboratory in outside of Bandon and that they're doing tests at the moment for private hospitals but with a bit of investment they could be doing many, many more tests and why are we sending tests to Germany when we have laboratories like that here in Cork and I was making the point similar laboratories like that are dotted all over the country. We, You know, if we need testing done try use our local laboratories. Uh, Michael says, Patricia, anybody taking a, oh that's on the, on the other issue, I'm sure he talks about this, he does, yeah, on the veterinary lab testing at Back Weston in Dublin, they have seriously good equipment and they are helping with the COVID-19 testing. There may be delays as they would not have the computerised reporting systems in place or the medical consultants to sign off on the records. This COVID-19 is a serious matter and should be treated with the respect of the medical teams. Uh, Michael also adds the quite a lot of labs are helping with the uh, testing. They are uh, it's 41 sites that we now have but if there are more uh, and particularly to get that same day testing results if we have to use more labs then use more labs and if those labs are willing ready and able with a bit of investment I think that's the way we should be going. And Chrissy was listening to Deputy Michael Collins talking about the fact that we're sending tests to Germany when we could be doing them locally. And Chrissy says, Patricia, I'm fit to scream. Is this just another example of waste? Why are we so tied, in adverted commas, to the EU? Our government probably have agreed some deal to do the tests there. They should tell, and they're the ones telling us to shop local. They need to practice what they preach and at any cost, we should be keeping it here in our own country. Look at what happened when we outsourced on the smear test. Yeah, we don't have good records on outsourcing for sure. Enough said. Uh, their loyalty le- lets else 
keep keep our lo- their loyalty lies elsewhere and that shouldn't be the case and that's from uh, Chrissy in uh, Mitchellstown 1850 and just a suggestion to the gentleman Vincent wasn't it who got stopped by the Gardaí bringing the neighbour to a hospital appointment and was told he shouldn't be because his neighbour isn't related to him even though the neighbour doesn't have anybody else to bring him to the hospital a suggestion is that the patient should get a letter from the hospital addressed to the relevant consultant uh, from the hospital to say that they need to go Well, well I take it that the man in the car had a letter saying that he was going to the hospital you know that it, it wasn't the issue that Vincent driving him to the hospital. The issue, according to the Garda that stopped him, was that you can only do that for members of your family, which I dispute. And my interpretation of it is for elderly and vulnerable people. If you're helping out somebody, you're being a good Samaritan. So I don't think Vincent should stop if that gentleman needs to go back to the hospital again. But I think a call through to his own local Garda station, I think, would we'll, we'll sort it for once and for all. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit CorkCoco.ie. Cope Foundation, who support over two. 2,500 children and adults with intellectual disabilities and autism in over 70 locations across Cork City and County are fundraising by asking people to complete the Five Peaks in One Week Challenge. You can get more details on how to take part are available on their website www.cope.foundation.ie and the Antashka Clean Up will be held in Castle Magnor Village and surrounding areas on Saturday the 13th of June. Starts at 11am in the morning. You're invited to go along and help out. Weeding of the flower beds will also be undertaken and the clean up will be undertaken in line with current government guidelines regarding COVID-19 and social distancing. And best of luck to Barry Rowe, GAA and Camogie Club. They're fundraising for Marymount Hospice. They're doing it this Sunday with a parish pocketon. You can find out more by going to their website www.barryrowgaa.ie Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie C103 encourages you to shop local during COVID-19. Most of our stores remain closed, so we can't go to the shop, but we can still support them by shopping online. Use Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to search for hashtag shop local. And buy from Cork businesses. Buy from Cork businesses. It's a sign of the time. Get everything you need from toys to toilet roll and groceries to gardening. Support your neighbours, friends and Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Communities and shop local. It's a sign of the time. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, a Cork family business looking after you in this time of need. CMIG.ie. Shop local with C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now, Bandon Kinsale County Councillor, Councillor Sean O'Donovan, is sponsoring a prize and is asking people to nominate a person who you think may be a frontline hero for 2020. Councillor Sean O'Donovan joins me uh, to fill us in. Good afternoon to you, Sean. Mm, the bomb button press. Good afternoon to you, Sean. Good afternoon. Patricia. And How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the program. So, who are you classing as a frontline hero? Um, I suppose anyone in the front line, really. Um, nurses, doctors, firemen, binmen, shop workers, right across the board. Anyone who's kept the the economy going, the country going, and supplies, I suppose, and care for people um, over the pandemic in the last number of weeks. Okay, that's really good because I think a lot of people when we think of frontline workers people instantly think of oh it's got to be people who work in a hospital it's got to be people who work in an ICU and it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, no. We've had nominations in right across the board um, like postmen who are delivering messages uh, going outside of their their proper job um, members of the Red Cross shopkeepers that are doing home deliveries themselves all, all this sort of stuff so anyone is open to nomination. Yeah, only this morning I was talking about, I heard of that uh, gentleman from a community group who, and such a simple thing, went to, for somebody who's cocooning obviously, went to their grave, to their the local cemetery and took photographs of the grave of the loved one who was cocooning because they couldn't get to the grave and they wanted to see how the flowers were doing and was everything okay. And just such a small, simple act but so important to that person who's cocooning. Absolutely, that just means such a lot to yeah. a person in that situation, you know. So how can people nominate their frontline heroes? So all we want is just a little bit about the person they're nominating, um, something less than 200 words. They can email in to frontlineheroes2020 at gmail.com. Um, on my Facebook, the link is there as well. So um, less than 200 words, basically, just a brief outline of who they are and what they are and what they've done. Okay, and give us that email address again. It's frontlineheroes2020 at gmail.com. Okay, and our own John Paul is one of the judges. He is indeed. <laughs> uh, John Paul is one of the judges, as well as Jacinta Warren of Warren Allen Collections in Bandon, and B.B. Baskin, uh, who's well known. Wonderful B.B. Uh, Baskin. Absolutely fantastic person. She's another one of the judges, as well as myself, so... We're going to, the closing date is next Tuesday. Okay. And we're going to take about a week to go through all the nominations and uh, and pick out one winner. Unfortunately, it's only one winner, but it's just a token of my appreciation to people who've, who've been more than good in this pandemic, you know. So 
the prize is a two night stay bed and breakfast in the beautiful Crosshaven house a beautiful 18th century Georgian house in the village of Crosshaven um, they'll be staying in one of the suites in the house uh, pure luxury it's absolutely beautiful down there well done well done it's it's a lovely lovely thing have you have you ever done anything like this before Sean I, I haven't Patricia being honest but you know um, I just wish there was there was more than one prize you know I know I know but I still think it's just such a lovely lovely idea and you know it's and well done well done and how is everything how how are you getting on with the council side of things it's all very different isn't it for even you're working within the council is also different it is very different a lot of our meetings are on teams and on zoom and social distancing obviously is is a huge um, thing that we have to obey and respect it's for everyone's benefit but people have been very good really through the whole pandemic you know and you can see it walking along the footpath. They kind of get off the footpath. Yeah. You know, people are, have been very, very good and there's great credit to the people for under the circumstances that we're going through at the moment. You know, it's, it's been incredible how people have reacted. And I suppose the key thing is they save lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I know the council, you're, you're, you're very much focused on recovery after as we ease out of restrictions. We are indeed. Um, the 23 towns in Cork County um, have town team set up now so it's a group of the council councillors for the area business people chambers of commerce the Gardaí um, age action all those type of groups are meeting and seeing what they can do in the town That's a great idea maybe pedestrianising places widening footpaths just creating space so that people will feel comfortable come out and shop again in the towns and support their local business who have been there through all of this and they're the businesses who have sponsored the local GA team, sponsored the local festival. So it, it, it's essential that uh, the, these businesses are supported into the future, you know. Yeah, and as more of them start to open up, uh, everyone then has a role to play in, in making sure that we are supporting those local businesses. A- absolutely, yeah. I mean, they've been thrown off a lot. Yeah. Their businesses down in most cases, you know. Their footfall is down. Uh, cafes and restaurants, when they'll reopen, um it's a fraction of the season that they'd normally have, you know, so it's just very important that we support local when that's, that's uh, what it's all about. the business that's, is open, yeah. That's what it's all about. Okay, and will you let us know who you have selected as your frontline hero for 2020? I will, absolutely. Great, we might do something online again with you. Yeah, absolutely. It will, it will be great. In the meantime, uh, Sean, thank you for that. Stay safe and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Thank Good you morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Banding Kinsale County Councillor Sean O'Donovan. If you want to... Uh, nominate somebody for frontline heroes to say it can be a nurse or a doctor but it doesn't have to be it can be just somebody who you feel has just gone above and beyond during this COVID-19 crisis frontline heroes 2020 at gmail.com for your entry please no more than 250 words some of your calls in Nancy and Bantry says I have a friend of mine who is waiting seven weeks uh, to be seen she's at the start of cancer treatment are we going to see more people die from cancer than coronavirus if this continues, I hate to hear of any delays to do a cancer tra- treatment. I really do. John on Holiday Homes uh, feels that there are a lot of people already after travelling from the city and other urban areas and have headed to their holiday homes in particular. He's citing Baltimore and Skull. Now he said it isn't as busy as it would normally be on the June Bank holiday weekend but he said it certainly is a lot busier than it's been the last few weeks. He's also noticed no guardie out on the roads. A lot of them he reckons 
second arrived on Thursday and they travelled on back roads so if there was checkpoints out they wouldn't have been uh, caught. And somebody was on asking us if we could find out when Kilmallock Civic Community Site we'd been talking about the Cork Civic Community Sites that they're all back up and running now their normal times and days if you need to recycle they recy- they're taking all items uh, once again but obviously Kilmallock this listener goes to Kilmallock and that's under Limerick County Council so we get on to Limerick County Council and they tell us that Kilmallock the civic community site Tuesday and Saturday 10am to 4.45 both days ok so most of the civic community sites very few of them are open for the five days are the six days a week so Tuesdays and Saturdays between 10am and 4.45pm Tom Inrath Gormick said there were so many surveys on about how young people are being affected by COVID-19 but what about older people who are being affected by their lack of social outlets there's no dancing going on there's no bingo going on and also for some older people they're cocooning as well people need to think of that he feels all of the focus appears to be on younger people and we are forgetting about older people and just one final text in this is from Margaret reacting to the lady who contacted us who was talking about what she called a horrible woman and it did sound like the woman was not, not a nice piece of work who came up behind her in the supermarket and when our listener said to her would you step back please you're too close she started the, the other woman started shouting at her and swearing into her face actually swearing at her and um, Margaret has a suggestion she said my daughter's friend always pulls the trolley behind her to make sure that the next person won't step too close good idea that is a clever idea. So when you head to the checkout, if you're fearful that somebody's going to get too close, you go in front. So you stand at the line and you put the trolley behind you. And obviously then you can make sure you're socially distanced from the person in front of you. But it means the person behind you is at least going to be a trolley and more than likely two trolleys away because most people push their trolley frontwards instead. That's a clever idea, Margaret. Thank you for that. OK, let's take a break and we are back talking movies with Mark Malone. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie We are currently in phase one of the government's roadmap for reopening society and business. During phase one, you can meet in small groups outdoors. Up to four people who are not from the same household can meet outdoors. This can include a family meeting an individual, friend or neighbour, a group of individuals meeting outdoors and two couples meeting outdoors. Social distancing should be maintained with all people keeping two metres apart. Meetings should be within five kilometres of the households of those involved. You are advised to limit the number of people you meet with outdoors. The more contact you have, the greater risk you have of getting and spreading the virus. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And an email in to uh, ask me to wish a very happy birthday to a special lady, Pat Kevane, who is cocooning in Bandon and celebrating a special birthday this weekend. Uh, Pat is described as a wonderful mum, mother-in-law and adored granny. A very happy birthday and could you thank her for everything she does for all of us so happy birthday to you uh, Pat uh, we hope you have a special day even though you have to do it while uh, cocooning OK Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins us good afternoon to you Mark 
Hi Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome. Now, to, uh, some movie suggestions for us, starting with The Lighthouse and also a movie called The Call of the Wild. We have a trailer from Lighthouse. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living. It's like any man. Starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? How long have we been on this rock? Five weeks? Two days? Help me to recollect. God, it almost sounds um, e- eerie. Two men in a lighthouse. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I left the sound effect of the, um, the kind of foghorn uh, in that little piece of audio there. And the foghorn is almost like as if it's a own character in the film because it's a constant, uh, you know, it's constantly running through the film. And it gives the film, and it kind of adds to the film's kind of creepiness. Because uh, I've, always, I've always personally loved the sound of a foghorn, yeah. Because uh, you know, you know, when you used to go to, go to Cross Haven or you all or whatever, you know, when yeah. you were a kid, and you used to hear it. I always used to really like it. I thought it was great. In the film here, it's uh, it's almost like an added part of the horror. When I say horror, the film has been very much kind of uh, portrayed that way. And the director has said, "Look, it's not really a horror film. It's more of a, a film about kind of loneliness and kind of psychotic behavior that you know um, becomes that way because." of the sense of isolation, of loneliness of these two men, these two lighthouse keepers. Wikis, apparently, are lighthouse keepers, and they're sent to this lighthouse uh, on this tiny little island uh, in the middle of the sea in New England back in the 1890s. They don't know each other very well. Um, the more experienced of the two is um, William Defoe, who plays the character of Thomas Wake. Uh, Robert Pattinson hasn't uh, been a lighthouse keeper before, and you heard the vague reference there to it in the uh, trailer where William says, what you, what's up with you? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? You've got something to hide. You're running away from something. Um, so they are on the island. They've got a four-month stint on the island themselves. Um, Robert Patterson, because he's the junior member of uh, the two, has to do basically all the dirty work and doesn't particularly like it very much and tries to remind William Defoe all the time. He says, look, you know, we have to share the duties. And William would say, no, I'm the senior member here. I will do what I want to do, and I will give you the orders. So basically, William Defoe gives... Uh, Robert Patterson, all the dirty jobs of cleaning, of, of uh, shoveling coal, uh, because the uh, lighthouse is actually driven by coal. Uh, whilst William Defoe spends most of his time uh, um, at the top of the lighthouse at the light. And Robert Patterson uh, wants to go up there, but uh, William Defoe won't him. And so Robert Patterson becomes kind of very paranoid about that and almost kind of psychotic because he wants desperately uh, to, to, to go up there whilst he himself, and it's obvious from very, very early on, that he too has problems, that he has emotional problems already. I thought they kind of missed a trick initially because I thought it would have been interesting for him as maybe a kind of a naive kind of member of the crew who over the four months, whilst they're being isolated, um, whilst he then would have found it more difficult and, um, and found the isolation kind of uh, mentally kind of difficult. But actually the film then jumps actually almost to the end of the four months and almost the day before they're meant to leave, the wind changes. And they realize then they can't get off the island because oh. the, the weather has changed. And they then know that they're going to spend another three months on the island. They have very little food, but they have a lot of alcohol. And so they spend a lot of their time just dealing with the isolation, dealing with 
uh, you know, the problems of sharing um, um, a tiny little island with somebody else who they hardly know uh, by just getting kind of uh, just drunk all the time. And so therefore, what comes from that then is kind of during these kind of alcoholic kind of stupors, uh, you know, comes violence, comes um, aggression, comes love. Um, and, you know, it's all there on screen. And it's it's not an easy watch, I can tell you this. It's an adult film. It's filmed in black and white, so the film looks extraordinary. Apparently, uh, you know, you need a very good cinematographer if you're going to have a black and white film. They had to bring in these huge lights so that because the film, if it's filmed that night, so you can actually see, uh, you know, what's happening on screen. It's at a four by three ratio, which is kind of like your old TV uh, shows. If you look at old TV shows from the 70s, I wonder why there's two bars on either side, on the yeah. left-hand side. That's why. So what that does is it kind of squashes the, 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 the screen and so makes it really claustrophobic. And so you've got these two extraordinary performances by Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, who apparently didn't talk very much when they were um, t- together on set. But once then they are on screen, they give of everything that they have. And Willem Dafoe is kind of well-known as a kind of method actor. There's one scene, for example, where uh, Robert Pattinson throws um, dirt in his face. And you can see that uh, the dirt gets into Willem Dafoe's eyes. You can see he's in pain. And but once he's giving a speech, but he keeps on going and keeps on going. It's really, really quite extraordinary. Okay, so and it really works the fact that it's in black and white. Okay, so mark it out of ten. Um, I'd give it nine. It's just the accents were the only thing, and it was difficult to um, understand what they were saying at times. But it's an extraordinary film. It is for adults. You know, it won't be for everybody. Um, yeah. there'll be a lot of people who wouldn't like it I thought it was extraordinary but I'll tell you this I was glad when it was over OK alright then you went to from there you went to an adventure drama called The Call of the Wild yeah well this is on the other hand is for all of the family I'm glad okay. to be able to say I mean you know young and old can enjoy this the old Jack London book um, it's been filmed I think this I think is the seventh version I mean it was first filmed back in 1925 I think oh. with Clark Gable so you know they've been making this movie you know for quite some time the difference in this, and, and when I saw it, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not, because when you see the trailer, you realize that they've actually CGI'd the dog, which, oh. has been never, which has never been done before, you know, but modern filmmaking, you know, there's a lot of CGI here. Um, you know, there's been pro and against it. There are people who say, look, you know, animals haven't been well treated in Hollywood down throughout the years, but sure. dogs pretty much have been, I think. But, yeah. you know, you can get a dog to do pretty much anything. And so, um, and, you know, and there's somebody from the Humane Society is always there. You, you know, you'll see that in the credits. You'll say no animals were harmed during the making of this film. And so they're always there on set, so they're not going to allow anything to happen to the dogs. But anyway, the makers decided, look, what we'll do is, you know, we'll have real actors and we'll have a CGI, kind of a photo-realistic kind of CGI'd dog. And is it very obvious it's a CGI dog? Very much so, yeah. I mean, if, if anybody kind of sees the trailer, you'll see what I mean. So I was a bit worried about it and because, and you know, the thing is, after a while it didn't bother me, but initially it did because I think part of the problem is that the dog is too human-like and the responses that the dog is giving to humans talking to him um, is, is too human-like. It's almost like the dog is way kind of smarter than it possibly should or could be. It's almost like he understands every word that everybody is saying. There are scenes where, you know, he behaves in a very human-like way where you kind of think, no, that doesn't work, you know. But look, it's a big, big, fluffy, friendly CGI dog. You fall in love with it like you would any other dog on screen. And after a while, you begin to enjoy it. You begin to kind of enjoy what's on screen. Um, you know, it looks as though it's the Yukon during the gold rush, but even though it was made, I think, in North Hollywood, uh, so the CGI guys got that right. All, you know, some of the, 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 the scenery is, is absolutely wonderful. You know, the dog... Um, 
uh, gets kidnapped from its home and brought to the Yukon during the gold rush where he's used as a sled dog. So he goes from a kind of a very kind of, you know, pampered existence to suddenly realizing that he's survived uh, in the Yukon. He's, he's now a working that. dog. He's now a working dog. He's yeah. snow for the first time. He's not, he's not getting treated. He doesn't understand why. Um, you know, he's badly treated by a number of characters. Dan Stevens is kind of, they're almost kind of stereotypical bad English guy in this. And then he meets up with Harrison Ford, who is absolutely terrific in the film. I mean, Harrison Ford could be phoning in these kind of performances now, um, but he doesn't. He's absolutely terrific in this. And, you know, um, he's, he's been very cynical about the Star Wars films in the past. And you would think that he would be acting in front of a CGI dog, but no, he really puts in a terrific performance. And there's a scene, by the way, where he jumps in the lake. He's in amazing shape for a man who's close to 80. He's just still all muscle. And he's he's very good in it, and he's excellent. And I ended up enjoying it way more than I thought I was going to. It's very sweet, and it's very charming. Ah, oh, that's good. And it's a, as you say, it's a movie for all the family, which is what people need during lockdown. It's called The Call of the Wild. Market out of 10. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. Okay, thank yeah. you for that, Mark. Have a, a nice bank holiday weekend. We'll talk again next Friday. Take care. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Talking the bank holiday, we mentioned picnics. If you're going out for a picnic, uh, Michael says, with lots of people planning picnics in the great outdoors, please be aware of uh, deer. Uh, if you're having picnics in areas where there are deer, the tick from a deer is very much associated with the dreaded Lyme's disease and very easy to pick up well stay safe and that is from Michael that's a good piece of advice just to be careful where you are having your uh, picnics and Bantry is very busy today according to Patrick a Bantry town resident says it is absolutely crazy Bantry is so busy and most of the businesses are closed what is the point of being closed when you've got large groups of people in congregating all over the town and there will be another week it'll be this time next week before we're looking at phase two the announcement of phase two being opened and then more businesses will be able to open but uh, for now unfortunately not which must be very frustrating to business owners who are seeing the amount of people that are around and their businesses are uh, closed. Okay, that's where we wrap it up for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing and for taking your calls uh, today. We are back with you on uh, Tuesday morning because it's bank holiday so we won't have a show on Monday morning. So back with you on Tuesday morning. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Look after yourself and stay safe. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.